Some people clap on a one and three. Some people clap on a two and four. Some people don't join at all because they got no rhythm, and that's all right. Some people, they drink too much. Some people don't drink enough. Some people are just like me. I hope y'all forgive them. I'm like Scott and Tommy Corbins. I'm like Pete Southtown, Zan Zan. I'm always speaking my mind, but I'm better off by my tongue. I'm a bad show at the wrong time. Still, I'm a legend of my own mind. I'm good for the song, but I'm not for Welcome to today's episode. Before we get started with Zach and uh, my first guy I had never met as an interviewer, um, I just wanted to say happy birthday to my wife. Um, today is uh, your birthday and uh, couldn't think of life without you. Thank you for everything you do. And thank you for supporting the podcast. Um, as you know how happy it makes me. So thank you for the support and happy birthday, honey. And because um, I don't cry on this podcast ever, here is the next bit is um, obviously I'm from Elmira, Ontario. Um, and we had friends uh, back in 2010, had a daughter diagnosed with cancer. Um, so anyways, this is a happy post or saying whatever I'm saying here. Um, but basically I was gone when they went through it. Um, Amy and Derek Forwell and their daughter, Sarah. Um, we, they used to have all these fundraisers and runs and I missed all of it. I never helped because um, I was overseas playing hockey. Um, but I did see how it brought a lot of people together in our town. Um, I don't know why I do this. I don't know why I choke up on here but anyways it brought a lot of people together and they've raised a lot of money and now that I have this platform I wanted to help so um here's the story but basically what's happening is uh Goodhood Club um and is for uh childhood cancer but they are making a Sarah hoodie um to raise money um but here's the backstory. um Sarah had just turned three when she was first diagnosed with a rare form of cancer called radomyosarcoma. Sorry if I didn't say that right. A soft tissue tumor uh, that they found on her right forearm. Uh, they spent the next six weeks traveling to Toronto daily for bone marrow tests, CT scans, MRIs, and doctor appointments, uh, leaving the younger son, Zach, home with a babysitter. And um, he was just a year and a half old. Um, so after six weeks of radiation, 46 weeks of chemotherapy, and another surgery, um, they removed muscle from her arm. Sarah went into remission. A year later, weeks before she turned five and two months before her sister Emma was born, Sarah relapsed. Uh, the cancer had returned to her same arm, but in her bicep this time. She again underwent intense chemotherapy five weeks of radiation and a two-year period of maintenance chemotherapy. And this is why this is such a happy story, is uh, as of October 2019, Sarah was considered cured of her cancer. Um, so that's incredible. Um, 
Yep. Uh, um, but childhood cancer doesn't end there uh, when it's cured. It requires a lifetime of follow-up care. As a result of the radiation, Sarah's arm has a significant growth issue. Uh, she will also need to be continually monitored for secondary cancers and other long-term side effects. Today, Sarah is doing great. She plays competitive hockey and is a role model, model for her little brother and sister. Sarah will continue to be supported by POGO throughout her life and regular visits to one of seven POGO aftercare clinics in Ontario. Um, and uh, this is from their family, uh, the Forwells. They sit as a family along with a very supportive community uh, that have supported many fundraisers for POGO over the years. Sarah's supporters have come together to raise tens of thousands of dollars for POGO, which is an amazing accomplishment. We're very fortunate to have had so many rally behind us since this all began in 2010 and can't imagine where we would be today had we not, had we gone through this alone. Um, anyways, I think this says a lot about the town of Elmira and the people that live there. So cheers to all my friends back there that have helped support this. Uh, but the background of Pogo is uh, the co-founders, if I don't say this name right, I'm sorry, Eloise and Chloe are familiar with the struggle of childhood cancer. Eloise was a childhood cancer survivor at only 15 years old. Um, she was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, although Eloise is nearly six years cancer-free, the journey to survivorship was not easy. Uh, she often faced bouts of severe discomfort as Eloise's best friend, Chloe, is aware of this intense struggle. And in a quest to help others, they launched the Good Hood Club, an affordable loungewear brand with a mission to champion pediatric oncology. Um, Eloise and Chloe founded Good Hood Club in 2019, and since then, um, they've been su extremely successful, raising nearly 10,000 for pediatric oncology initiatives. With every purchase, the Good Hood Club donates 50% of the profits directly to Pediatric Oncology Group of Ontario or POGO, an organization with mission to provide state-of-the-art cancer-free care to thousands of children battling cancer in Ontario. So basically, I just wanted to help now that I have this platform, and I will put out a post on Instagram and Twitter um, of how you, you can see the, the Sarah hoodie and uh, for the Good Hood Club, and I just hope um, that a couple people could buy a hoodie. Um, and also, um, congratulations, Sarah, on being cancer-free. And uh, I don't know you very well. Uh, never really met you very often, but uh, can't imagine what your parents went through. And uh, from what I see, you're probably the toughest girl I've ever heard of. So uh, anyways, on to Zach Sullivan, um, the first guy I didn't know. <laughs> to be interviewed on the podcast. And I'm sorry for getting choked up again. <laughs> Happy birthday, mama. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Two Ales and Hockey Tales with Wally. And today I'm so excited to have on. He is my first non-teammate on the show other than Yashis Ragu Kumar, who didn't play hockey. So this is the first hockey player non-teammate um, he is the first active pro hockey player to come out as bisexual, a 26-year-old from Red Hill, England, currently a member of the Manchester Storm, 
And he played four years for the Brayhead clan where we played against each other. We just determined, but we both didn't remember it. Um, Zach Sullivan, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Uh, great intro. I think I might have to uh, get on the Manchester PR guys to have that kind of intro every game. But no, <laughs> I'm good. good. How are you? Good. Well, I can tell you're a bit of a uh, fan favorite there because I just saw when I did my research before this that there's some kind of uh, Sully show uh, some coming out. Yeah, so I uh, I did my interview with, uh, with Storm about this upcoming 2021 Elite Series and... Um, we had the draft yesterday um, and quite a few of the guys I played with in Glasgow, uh, we picked up in the draft. So um, our head PR guy, Stephen Packer, just came up with the idea of instead of him interviewing them all separately, I'd, uh, I'd host the interview and interview them all together. So um, it's probably going to be an absolute train wreck, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. So actually, that was one of the first topics I wanted to get into is because it is. It did just happen, and that's why I think this is the perfect time to have you on the pod, is I don't really understand the whole return to play in the UK. I know my favorite team, the Cardiff Devils, are not playing. Um, however, Todd was running the draft, and my old teammate with the best tattoo in the league, Ben Bounds, um, went first overall to, hold on, I know it, I know it, um, Nottingham, right? He's yep. now a Panther, not a Devil. Yep. Very strange times, eh? So how's that all working? Yeah, so it's um, Sport England have uh, basically granted money to the Elite League, so that explains why Belfast, Cardiff and the Scottish teams aren't playing. Um, and then Guildford Flames opted out. Um, so we're left with the four, Manchester Storm, who I play for, Nottingham Panthers, Sheffield Steelers and Coventry Blaze. And um, yeah, they did, like you said, they did a draft yesterday. Bouncy went first overall, which I don't think was... Uh, much of a surprise for anyone. Um, but yeah, it's uh, each team had five protected players um, that were associated with the club. So I was lucky enough to be protected. Um, and then everyone else who who kind of, there was a form released, uh, an intent to play if you if you were interested in playing. And I think there were only over, over 80, 75, 80 applicants. So there were a lot of players to choose from. And the coaches just kind of built their team from the draft and uh, as you said with the with the Sully show a few of my teammates have come back my ex-teammates have joined the storm so uh, yeah we're looking forward to get going and uh, all our group chats we're getting the band back together and we're going again so it's it should be good fun. Well that's uh, yeah that starting this podcast it's all the stuff I missed the, the group chats the text messages uh, the the camaraderie with the guys and through this pandemic you guys really haven't had anything to play so I think it's great that they've come up with a way for the British players to somehow make some money during this because I know there's been a lot of guys sitting on their hands through this and I mean when you're a hockey player um, you, you got to make money and there hasn't been any games played there hasn't been any fans it's got to been really hard yeah I mean um, I'm lucky enough my mum owns a children's nursery in Surrey. So I've, I've been able to work there and kind of help out my mum. Uh, we've been open all the way through lockdowns and uh, it's been tough some some days. And, and But no, it's, it's good to be able to help out. But I know some guys were were considering getting a job Tesco's stacking shelves and things like that. So it's, um, yeah, we're all, we're all really grateful that we've, we've got some hockey. Um, 
quite a few of us are playing in the the spring cup going on at the moment in the NIHL, which is the league below ours. Um, and again, we're just we're just grateful we can get on the ice and and play the sport that we love to play. Um, I don't think with how this year's gone, we were expecting to play any hockey. So it was uh, it was going to be an interesting Team GB camp and, and World Championships if we if we weren't going to get on the ice. So how many games are you guys playing? And is it still like a playoff weekend? I didn't really look into the, how much hockey will be played. That's a really good question. Um, not one I'd know the answer to. I, I know there are 26 games in total. Well, I think there are 26 games in total. Uh, a best of three semifinal playoff and then a final. That's, okay. I think, right. Yeah, no, I, that's, uh, yeah, you, uh, I don't know much about it. So. <laughs> it turns up and I, we're playing Sheffield today. Okay, great. Cool. So basically Manchester could protect their British players that were already on their roster, right? Correct? So Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So then all the devils are free agents. So would Mark Richardson have been in the draft or if he's in Germany, he's not in it? R Richie didn't. Um, I know Richie really well. Got on with him really well as well. Really good guy. Um Un unbelievable D-man as well. I think you're incredible. Oh yeah, he's um, he's incredible. Yeah, he he didn't put himself into the draft, so I think he was planning on staying in Germany because I think the playoffs are starting soon. Um, so I think he's he's staying over there. I haven't spoke to him, spoken to him in a while, but he didn't put his name in. Um, there were two or three big names that that didn't go in. So Richie being one, Ben O'Connor being another, and um, Robert Farmer being the third. With the okay. three names that were kind of people like, oh, that's a shame they're not going to be playing. But obviously, um, family comes first. Yeah, that Ben O'Connor, he's a slick D-man, that guy. Man, we used to get into it a little bit. Uh, but <laughs> he was with the Steelers, man. That was the one team I just yeah, he's, I he's, just despised the orange team, man. Just how ugly their jerseys are, their pants, everything about them. They, got, just... they got orange helmets now as well. well. And now Matthew Myers is going to be dressed like that, falling on the ice. My goodness, that's tough. Okay, so sorry, go on, go on. Okay, well, if you have anything else about that, I was just about to move on to where you grew up and kind of like what minor hockey's like in the UK, because this uh, podcast has kind of taken a bit of a global feel, which is really a lot of my old buddies I played with all over the place. Um, so there wouldn't be a lot of guys that know much about UK minor hockey. Um, well. When I was growing up, it was good. Um, we had quite a few good teams. Um, hockey was still quite big in in youth hockey. Um, quite a lot, of, quite a lot of us used to play roller hockey or inline hockey as well. So we, we kind of had the the advantages of both. You know, the skill side from the roller hockey and the the ice hockey side. Um, I can't really say much for junior hockey in our country at the moment. Um, most of the guys just go abroad because there's there's not really that much competitiveness anymore um i know that conference weekend we do kind of a regional tournament every year and um i think it's 17s 15s 13s and 11s and um that's gone downhill quite a bit as well and it, i think it's just um not enough infrastructure there's not enough teams there's not enough competitiveness i don't know the whole story behind it um i'm 26 now so it's not really something i concern myself with um but yeah it used to be good when, when i was younger I, I started in invicta in in kent um then moved over to swindon in 
not sure where, but I moved over to Swindon. And then I, I, I started playing senior hockey when I was 16. So that was kind of the end of my junior progression. And um, yeah, it's, uh, I remember our games being quite hotly contested. Every single game was either team could win. And um, now it just looks like it's, it's one, to, one or two teams that are packed with, with good players and they beat every other team 15, 16 nil. It's, it's, um, it's a struggle because you, you go from, if you're a good hockey player, you go from being this stud in, in a junior team to going, going professional, going senior, and all of a sudden you're fourth line and you, you're getting one, two shifts a game. And it's, it's, it's a struggle to kind of adapt attitude-wise. Um, I know quite a few guys have come back from playing in North America, playing in Europe, it's straight into an elite league team and they don't get the ice they're expecting or the ice that they may think they deserve and, and they struggle and, and eventually they end up going down the leagues and it's, um, yeah, it's a shame. Um, it's a shame how much young talent is, is being wasted and isn't being used. And, um, you know, there are guys that drop out of hockey every, every year that could be the next Tony Hand, Wayne Gretzky, like you don't know. And um, hopefully that's kind of addressed and, our junior hockey gets better. I mean, Team GB men's are in, in the top group of world championships. So it's obviously we did something right 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that all these guys are playing in world championships now. And hopefully we can kind of take the good things from then and, and kind of implement them again. Because, uh, I mean, any any half-decent hockey player with a family that's got the money just send their, send their kids abroad now. Uh, yeah, like I... The, reason I'm interested also is because I'm coaching minor hockey my son's into it so when I talk to people that live abroad it's interesting because some countries are are getting a lot better at hockey and there's an age group there there's a nucleus for the UK team with Richie Bouncy um you know there was uh Clarkie from Nottingham like there was a a real nucleus of really good players from um great britain and they've worked their way up to the top level and i was thinking like hopefully that success would breed more kids wanting to be hockey players and there would be more hockey players that you could improve the minor hockey there because you're right like i saw what cardiff was like when i first got there it's improved a lot based on the success the teams had so hopefully as a whole in great britain the men's team and Ben Bounds, nice tattoo, who's coming on next week, he says. We'll see if that's true. But uh, anyways, it uh, it would be nice to see uh, the UK start uh, snowballing and like becoming better because like you've seen it with the States, you've seen it with all these other countries that uh, they're improving. And the UK has an age group that were and whether or not there's still kids coming up like that, I know that Liam Kirk is supposed to be pretty good, right? Yeah, but again, he he he's been training in this country uh, up until he got drafted, um, and he undeniably a, a great player, and he would have been an elite league superstar if he stayed in the country, no doubt about that. Um, I think I played against him uh, last week, uh, weekend ago, so two weeks ago. He was head and shoulders above the rest. He was by far the best player on the ice. He was just so smooth, everything about him. And, you know, that extra development has come from playing in North America. So he's 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 had to go to to keep improving. Um, and hopefully 
maybe we have this conversation in 30 years and he stays in this country because the infrastructure is there for him to get better and and become that that standout player that he's he's no doubt going to be he's he's absolutely amazing hockey player well yeah. like I know what you mean though because like uh, a player like I don't know if you know him Chris Jones who's in Cardiff like he was a young player who was skilled and um, he's on the Cardiff Devils and that's really the only team he's on he's a young 20 something year old and he's not going to play when you have 11 imports on your team and you bring guys over like me and you know Joey Martin like you're not going to play Chris Jones as much but he was a good player. And if he would have been developing for those four to five years, instead of sitting on a bench, who knows yeah. where he could have taken it. Yeah. And I think that's, um, that's kind of been the, the fallout from, we used to have a league when you were in Cardiff called the EPL. Um, so that was the league that I played in before I went to Brayhead. And uh, it was a very competitive league. It was mainly British. I think there were four imports that had to be European. They had to have a European passport to play and it just gave guys that weren't quite ready to step up that that playing that that area to play in and um, kind of develop their game and get better and better and then finally take this take the step to 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 the elite league and while we have the NIHL national it, it's not the same standard as the old EPL was um, so where you had the EPL to the elite league was a step and it was a big step. You've now got the NIHL, which is an even bigger step, and 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 obviously fewer players are going to be able to make that step. Is um, that is that because of not having the four imports? That kind of it wasn't so many players that were taking too many positions, but it was four players that just raised the level of play in the game. Or why why is that other second league not as good now? Is it that guys decided to retire because there was just less money? Uh, I don't I don't think it was a money thing. I think. <sighs> Uh, the EPL folded because of money um, in the end. Um, and then kind of the teams that were in the EPL made this NIHL national. Um, I think it was more like more the kind of age group that, that you were saying earlier, the Ben Downs age group, the Mark Richardson age group. We're getting to the point where they were like, right, we, they've got children, they've got families, they've got houses, and, and they took the decision to retire. And then you've lost that age group, which was, you know, these guys that play for GB were the best of that age group. You still have all the guys under them that weren't quite as good, but still very good hockey players. Um, and I think kind of they retired and it was kind of put over to a, a younger age group and um, not to bash an entire generation, but I don't think the, um, I think it's rare now to find find a, a young player with determination to, to make it on his own. Um, I think more and more people are younger players are expecting waiting for that call up rather than working to get it. Yeah, that's yeah. Like you see that even in the business world now. Like I'm in the real world and you see the different age groups and the the different work ethics. Um I I think that is not just in hockey. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm lucky enough to be playing in in Romford in London Raiders at the moment, um, and there's a kid there that that you know we we get on the ice at seven thirty for practice. He's on the ice at six. You know we we get off at nine. He's on the ice till nine thirty, and uh, we drafted him in the the elite series. Ben Solder, and and you know he's got that attitude. Um, I was talking to to one of the guys I played with in Invicta when I was much younger, and he said. Uh, 
he's got a great attitude. And I said, I would have loved to have that attitude when I was his age. Um, you know, I'm under no illusions. I don't have the the drive that some players do. Um, I know what I do well and I know what I don't do well. Um, but just that that work ethic is just admirable, in, especially in such a young young guy. He's only 20 years old and he's he's got that desire, which is I, just yeah. the now. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting, especially once you've been done for five years, like you see that type of work ethic. Some guys may go a little too crazy where their careers don't last as long because they're too crazy. But then you, you see the guys like Mark Richardson, who we've discussed enough, but like his professionalism, his diet, the way he takes care of himself, like that is why I get injured having a fart now or getting out of bed is because I didn't take care of myself. Um, I didn't do the cold tubs. I wasn't eating the things he was eating. Um, I was more enjoying the whole part of being a hockey player. And um, that's why he's still playing and probably looks like he's 10 years younger than me. Um, and that's why there's a select few that are still playing and most of us are done. And you kind of, like, you see the guys that are still going and you're like, those were the guys that were warming up before practice, that were stretching before yeah. practice, that were into nutrition before everybody else was. And they're the ones that are still there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm sure they're the ones that get the most chirps aimed their way as well. But yeah, like you say, um, the, the guys that look after their body the best are the guys that are going to have the best and longest careers. Um, you know, Sidney Crosby is probably a good example. It's, he, I don't he probably does all the nutrition stuff and the warm up and the cool down and every, everything that he knows he needs to do to keep playing at that level. And if he didn't, then, then he might not still be playing at that level. So it's, I think with, with all the kind of advances we've had, it's, it's, there's not really an excuse. Um, there's not really an excuse not to warm up, not to cool down, not to eat the right things. There's, there's hundreds of thousands of experts out there now, you know, you can have a, like we have a PT in Manchester, which, we, we didn't have a uh, full-time physio when I first went to, went to Greyhead. So like it's all these progressions are made so that we can play the sport longer and we can play the sport better. And if you're not taking advantage of those, the only person you have to blame is yourself. Uh, well, and that's when I was coming up, like it was more the exercising. Like when I was coming up, it was like Olympic lifting as heavy as you could possibly lift where guys were all getting injured and nobody really knew what they were doing, but everybody knew you had to get stronger. And then yep. by the end of my career, it was all about like movement and motion and flexibility. And everybody was leaner and not looking like football players, but or not soccer players, like foot, North American football players is what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, anyways, that's how it was back in my day. And I know it's changed like crazy. But the one thing I got here since we're going through your career is you we've kind of mentioned it but we talked about breaking into pro and like in europe it's not just in the uk but in germany you get called up to like the men's team like to the professional team at a young age or the senior team um so how did that work for you um, yeah, over uh, there? um like i said i was playing in swindon um when i was 15 i i turned 16 and um I spoke to the the owner of Swindon and he said, you know, we, we don't want to take you on at this time, um, which was fine. You know, it's his, it's his team, it's his choice. And uh, there are a couple of guys on the team that were better than me that would have been 
in my spot. Um, and I spoke to the head coach in Victor where I started playing hockey and um, he was more than happy to have me on board. Um, unfortunately, that year, my, one of my best friends also passed away. So I did play um, under 18s level for, for Guildford so I could qualify to play for the, the regional tournament that we have every year. Um, but yeah, it was kind of, I turned 16 and it was, I, I kind of sat down with my parents and it was, where do I go from here? I've, I've kind of done everything juniors. We, we've won the league, we've won playoffs and um, it was kind of, what's the next progression? And we kind of decided that it was uh, senior hockey and spoke to a few few of my old coaches and they agreed. And um, yeah, I was lucky enough to go back to where I started playing hockey and play senior <coughs> hockey for them. And um, kind of the year after, um, there was a little fallout in Slough, um, Slough Jets. And the coach phoned me and said, you know, we, we want to have you as our sick D-man. We don't have one at the moment. What league was that? Uh, that was so, I went to the old ENL, which was the third league in Invicta. Um, okay. And then Slough was the EPL, the old EPL, so the second league. Um, and yeah, again, I was lucky enough to have that opportunity to go to Slough. Um, you know, I, I try and tell young young players now it's it's not about so much getting the opportunity it's about taking it when you get it and um I think I did well when I when I went to these clubs and um my coach Doug Shepherd at the time in in Slough then then went to Basingstoke went with him for a couple of years and um we had a meeting after my third year with him and about the, the following season and uh, he just said like what do you want to do and I said well I want to see if I'm good enough for the elite league. You know, I was 19, 20 years old. And I said, I don't want to look back at when I'm 25 and say, I wish I'd given it a go. Um, and his response was, I was expecting an argument with him. You know, he was expecting him to say, you need another year. You need another two years and me to say this, that, and the other. And he just looked at me and said, all right, where do you want to go? Um, so we kind of talked about the best, club to go to and um, kind of Cardiff had that um, solid British D-man in Ritchie, Sheffield had David Phillips and um, Ben O'Connor, Nottingham had Stevie Lee and Belfast had Mark Garside so the only really, I don't mean any disrespect by this but the the big, the, the last remaining big club was kind of Brayhead and um, I knew a couple of guys that had played there, they, they had good things to say about it and I said I'd wouldn't mind going to Glasgow and playing in Brayhead. Um, and luckily, Shep, my coach at the time, knew Finna quite well. And um, I think we met on a Wednesday. He said, give me give me till Friday and I'll have it sorted. And he, he phoned me about two hours later the same day and he said, yeah, it's all sorted. You're going to Brayhead. So I was kind of like, oh, okay. I haven't even told my parents yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm moving seven hours away from home and I haven't even talked to my parents about it. So it was... Uh, yeah, like, like I said, I, I know I've been lucky. I know I've been lucky with, with kind of my moves around the different teams and that kind of thing. But like I said, it's it's not about being lucky enough to take to get the opportunities. You have to actually take them when you get given them. And um, I think when I actually went to Brayhead, our, two of our import D got a couple, uh, injured for a couple of months right at the start of the season. So I was straight into that, that top 4D with we were the only 4D playing. So it was... Uh, lucky again but um 
I think I did well enough to to prove to Finna that I could play. Well, when when you explain when like there's only you know say a handful of you want we call them the bigger clubs, um, which are the teams that are realistically fighting for trophies each year. Uh, there are some other teams that can get in there and win a Challenge Cup or a playoff championship, but the actual Elite League Championship, there's a select few that are fighting for that each year. Um, and it does change the odd year, but realistically, it's pretty much the same. And when you explain how competitive that market is as a GB defenseman, when, when realistically these teams are trying to bring over their top 4D are usually imports, unless you have a Mark Richardson, um, it's got to be really hard, especially when they're, if there were younger kids knocking on the door, like there is only say a handful of really good jobs in that league for defensemen, let alone the forwards and the goalies. Like it's, uh, it's just as competitive for you guys as it is for us coming over. Right. Yeah. I mean, like I was talking to our goalie in, in Romford who put his name in for this elite series draft and, um, I mean, it's hard as a British player to break into the Elite League. Um, they brought in an under-23 rule last year. They changed it to an under-25 rule this year to kind of get more young guys coming up. Um, but yeah, that, that competition for spaces is is intense. There's, there's 10 teams in the club that realistically probably going to have one British D-man, one British forward. Um, and the rest are going to be imports, backup goalie, who, who would be lucky to play a game. Um, so whereas it's 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 difficult for for British players, it's near impossible for British goalies. Um, you know, Bouncy's, uh sorry if I get this wrong, but I think he's 30, 31 now. He's the last British goalie that came through. And like even the way that worked out, um, like <laughs> yeah, like I'm gonna have to have him on to tell the story, but like when Cardiff was taking over the team and the new owners, um, that contract was, was handed to them from the previous owners. Um, and they called Bouncy and they, cause they're good people. And they said, we're going to honor this contract and you're going to be our goalie next year. Well, if that wouldn't have happened, if the previous owners wouldn't have given him the starting job and the contract and signed Mike will to back him up, then realistically, the new owners and Todd probably would have came in, got a, um, an import goalie, and Ben Bounds may have never happened because the, improve, the improvement I saw in him that first year in Cardiff, I remember the first month we started practicing, I'm like, our goalie is not very good. Like, <laughs> this British goalie is not that good. Like, you can tell on a goalie if you can score on him in practice how good he is. But then I realized Bounds, he's a gamer. And then I saw how much he improved in one season of actually getting to play all the time. He's the man, like he's the guy. And to see what he did in a year and then has continued to do since I've been gone, like he needed that chance for all of that to happen. And if you don't get the chance, it, it doesn't happen. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's it's like I said, it's about taking that chance and not not getting it necessarily, but but taking it. And um, you know, I'm I'm a big believer in baptism of fire. Um, every time I've jumped up a level, it's it's been a baptism of fire, been thrown straight in. And I don't think you can really judge a player's potential until he's had that. Um, you know, give that 
give a player a make or do or die season and see if they can step up. Um, it's all well and good having the scouts going out and and hearing about them from from other teammates and and coaches, but you know you never really know if someone's good enough until they played. Um, they might bring a different thing to the to to your team that you weren't expecting, and it works really well, or they might crumble under that pressure and and never play in the elite league again. But it's until you give players a chance. I, I'm I'm a big believer in you never know until you put them into that baptism of fire. And and I've I've played my career every time I've stepped up, it's been that way for me. And um, fortunately, I've been able to kind of adapt my game where I've needed to and. Um, improved in areas where I've needed to under the guidance of my coaches and um, yeah I, I like like you said Bouncy probably didn't start off that well in Cardiff but because he was playing because he was facing he knew he had to up his game and he and he managed to be able to do that which is he he kind of came around the other side of being thrown in the deep end and he's now always considered one of the best goalies in the elite league so it's uh, yeah uh, yeah, see, yeah, it's been great to see Mike Bice's career go like that, that he's actually an import in, like, the Austrian league, because, like, those jobs are sought after by every North American import goalie. Yeah. But, like, when you look at his track record, he is better than the import goalies every year in the UK. So, way to go, Bouncy. There's your tire pump today. So, um, my next one is, so you played four years at Glasgow. I remember... Yeah, five. Uh, uh, five? Okay, so I remember this would have been the year we were two points away from winning it, the Elite League, like the actual regular season championship. So for all the North American listeners or German listeners, if there are still any when these aren't German players, um, the way it works is whoever wins the regular season, the table, like in soccer or football, um, is the champion. And it's a grind, man. It's the last two months, every game's like a game seven if you're in the hunt. And I remember that year, my first year in the league, and I learned about this game sevens for months. And every game was just enormous. Was It was us, Brayhead, which became the Glasgow clan, um, and then Sheffield. So the three of us were in the hunt there. And we ended up losing by two. And I think you guys might have been one point behind us. Like, it was exhausting eh? I, remember, I remember the last week um we i think we might have lost to you guys um over the weekend and that meant we were a point behind sheffield if we both won out and then uh sheffield went to edinburgh and edinburgh were um not the best team in the league they they usually prop the table up and uh sheffield lost to edinburgh so we were kind of sat there going like oh my god like if we win the rest of our games we win the season like this is insane. Like we we thought we were done. We were like, right, we'll we'll finish second, fine. Like it's been a great year. We've done well. Nobody expected us to do that well. And then uh, our next game was Edinburgh. Um, went to Edinburgh. I think we outshot them something like sixty-five to to fourteen, and uh, lost two-one. And so it was Sheffield back in the driving seat. So so they lost on Wednesday. We lost on Saturday. And and. Uh, I think all three of us won out. So it was, yeah, two points between first and third. And, and we were sat there going, how did we lose this game? We outshot them more than three times and, and <laughs> only scored one goal. Well, like we, we had a different situation, Curtis. So we beat, the, we beat Sheffield in the Challenge Cup mid-season, two to one. 
And then uh, we all really celebrated hard because we weren't supposed to win anything that year. We weren't even supposed to be good. It was the owner's first year and we were all new on the team. And then we win the Challenge Cup and we really got after it, we'll say, that night. Um, and then we played Sheffield again on the Wednesday and lost 11 to 1. Um, so that was two points we gave them. And then actually they sell, if I, my memory is not as good as a lot of players, I realize, but we lost a game two to one to them or three to one to them at the end of the season. And that clinched it for them and they won the elite league. So we can blame it on having fun, the challenge cut me, but realistically it was the last game. Like if we would have won that game, that's the one we had to win. Like when you win a challenge cup, you got to have fun. Like you only win so many championships in your, your lifetime. Like what, if, if you don't have fun that night, that just because you play again, three nights later, like, when do you really celebrate with the boys, right? Yeah, we. So one of my best friends is Craig Peacock, who was in the uh, in the Belfast Championship winning team. They won they won the league in January. Um, so two two and a half months left, and they've won the league. And he he said it was just an absolute gong show. They were going out celebrating every night. They had a testimonial game in the week, so that was like huge party again. And then they got to playoffs, and like they they hadn't been playing like obviously they've been playing their games but it wasn't as intense they'd already won the league and it was like they got to playoffs and I think they lost in the first round everyone was like oh my god like how has that happened and Peaks was just like well yeah <laughs> we've been partying for two and a half months <laughs> uh some of the stories that happened in pro hockey are great <laughs> but like when you win like you won like you have to celebrate it like I still hear the GM and Carter talk about how we blew the league because we had fun that night. But what if we wouldn't have won the league and we didn't have fun that night? Like it was one night. Like, you, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, all the rest of the season to mix in at one more win. <laughs> okay, that's my bad attitude, baby. Here we go. Next part is so you played the five years at Brayhead. So then you finally make a switch, which I think I know has some ties to Cardiff because Finner was your coach, Ryan Finnerty, which I don't really know very well, but I played against him and he was part yeah. of Cardiff before I got there. Um, yeah, he so was, you kind of went with them, right? Yeah, he was in, he was in Cardiff playing. And then I think he went to Sheffield as player coach and then stepped back and just became coach. Went to Brayhead. I joined in his second year. Um, I had three years with him in, in Glasgow absolutely hated him my first two years couldn't stand him uh, after my second year we actually had a phone call because I was considering leaving and dropping back down because I didn't get on with him that much um, then my third year absolutely loved him got on with him really well um, and yeah he, he got um, he got let go the day before our award ceremony so we, you know, you know that we have an awards ceremony at the end of every season, and they released it on social media that he'd been uh, released as head coach the day before the awards ceremony. So it was kind of like us as a team we were kind of like, okay, like this is a send off for Finner. Like, forget about the club. Like, Finner's been here for four years. He's he's done really well. He's taken Glasgow from a from a team that was just getting into playoffs to a team that was looking at trying to win the league, trying to win a trophy, and. Um, third, fourth place, place every season. So um, that was definitely the weirdest awards night we've ever had. Um, and yeah, we, we went through, I think it's 
the if the season had gone ahead this year, it would have been their fourth coach in four years. So they've they've kind of been struggling to find a coach that suits their their playing style. And um, we had a German guy, John Tripp. I think he was captain of the German national team for a while. Um, come over, um, and then we we missed out on playoffs. We we went to Guildford last game of the season. If we won, we made playoffs. If we didn't, we didn't. And uh, we definitely didn't. We got beat about 6 or 7-1. Um, and then the GB national coach took over. Ah, um, uh, yeah. I know his. Yeah. Uh, Ru- Russell. Yeah. Um, That's his name? Yeah, but it's uh, trying to think of a, a diplomatic way to say this. Well, is he still the coach uh, of the GB team? Yes, he is. Yeah, he's, then then say something really good about him. He's the Freiburg coach, I believe now in in DL two. Well, do you want to play for the GB team? You gotta say something really nice right now. Yeah, I, I respect myself too much, unfortunately. Uh, no, I, I I didn't get on with him professionally very well, um, and kind of come the end of the season, it was uh, kind of bad news in the in the player meetings, the the kind of exit meetings, and. Um, I lost I lost a lot of love for hockey that year. Um my little sister was um fell very ill with uh, hypothyroidism in her neck. Um so there were a lot of personal things going on and that was kind of the time where I was realizing that maybe I wasn't completely straight. Um well, kind of starting to accept that anyway and um I'd already planned to go to go to New Zealand for a season out there and when I got the news that I was being released, I was kind of panicking and um, I kind of text Finna and I was like, so I've, I've been released by Glasgow. Do you still want me to play for you? Um, and his response was just, yeah, talk to Jamie. He'll sort out the contract and see you in August. So, so yeah, it was kind of, um, kind of landed on my feet and uh, I love my year in Manchester last year. It's probably one of my favorite years playing hockey. Um, so yeah, I was kind of landed on my feet, fortunately, and I had to kind of get it all wrapped up because the season ended and I was off to New Zealand in two weeks. So it was, I didn't want the 12 hour time difference with all the contract negotiations. And, uh, so yeah, it's, um, would have been my second year in Manchester this year. And obviously COVID decided to ruin everyone's lives. So, yeah. Can I ask a question though? Because, uh, we've had people from all over on this. Um, and I actually forgot about that part of your elite prospects until right now. So before we get into your Manchester time, I know some guys that went over to the Australian New Zealand league. And basically I think they pay for your flight. They help set up a part-time job and then you play hockey. Is that not right? Or do you actually make money too? So yeah, the deal for, for me, I think it's different depending on who you are. Um, the deal for me was they're paying for my flights there. They're paying for my flights back. Uh, because I was British, I didn't need to get a visa. Uh, and yeah, they, they gave me the option of, of getting a part-time job. But um, having played hockey full-time for five years, I decided that I didn't want a full-time jo- a part-time job. So I kind of blew through a, a large portion of my savings, um, kind of traveling around New Zealand. And I mean... I spoke to Craig Peacock, again, one of my best friends, and he he had gone out the year before. He kind of had the same situation as me. He fell out of love with hockey. And when he went to New Zealand, like the the things he was telling me on the phone was just, oh, I loved it. It was amazing. It was 
this time we got that. Sorry, my mum's phoning me. No worries. Um, but yeah, it was um, it was kind of just went to to kind of get that love of hockey back, and you go out there and there's guys still paying to play, um, and I think it made me realise how lucky I was to be play, paid to play the sport that I love. Um, you know, they're all great guys over there. I don't have a bad word to say about any of them. They're, they're playing the sport because they love it. They're paying to play. And um, yeah, it was it was really, really enjoyable. I, I hope to go back out there at some point. Um, didn't quite get all the travelling done I wanted to. So <laughs> that's a good a reason as any to go back. Well, I know, like I heard some guys that went over there and I was jealous of them because like I never got to go over there. And now with kids and everything, like, do you really get a chance now? I I highly doubt it. But um, I think it's great that you, you go and do stuff like that. So now you go to Manchester, which is just like the big blue tent in Cardiff, because um, I've been there. I've hid in their uh, their the bathroom of the locker room for over an hour um, covered in dirt, dressed like a Viking to do a pregame speech for the boys. Cause uh, we had to win the last two games of the regular season to be the champions of the elite league the year I'm hurt. And then we also needed help. We, I think we needed Sheffield to lose a game. So I decided to go to Manchester and do a pregame speech uh, the first night of that weekend to make sure that we still have a chance to win it the last game of the season. So I've been to the Manchester Arena a few times. Um, it's a nice spot, just like it's the big blue arena. Uh -huh. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call it an arena. <laughs> I think it's great, man. I love that stuff. Like the new arenas, like Sheffield, there's no personality in that arena. It is just that's, that's big the, and empty. That's the big thing that that we were we were key on all the way through the season. You know, it's it's we train there every day, so we we're, we're used to it. We're used to kind of like the the uh, not not state-of-the-art surroundings and um, we know that these arena teams are going to come in they're used to their arenas and and we play that way we play a gritty kind of style we grind teams down and um, it's not the nicest arena to go to um, but in my opinion it's one of the best arenas to play in because when the fans get going it just echoes and echoes and it's it gets so loud um, I think we'll probably get onto it at some point but the uh, the pride night game when we played Dundee at home. It was just, it was like a Premier League game. It was just non-stop noise. And without a doubt, that it's, it's a cliche, but without a doubt, those fans just, just spur you on. They become that sixth player behind you. And it's just, when they get going, because you're getting going, it's just, it just snowballs and you start playing better and better. Well, I, I, yeah, we did the exact same thing. The exact same thing in Cardiff. When we went there, like, Oh, man, you win a few games, then all of a sudden they're selling out. Like, if those teams in those little arenas, if they start having success, you can fill those places really quickly, and then it's a whole different experience. But you're right. It is time to get into uh, basically why I am so proud of you, and I'm so interested in your story, because I think in life you got to be yourself. You got to be you. I got to be Wally, which uh, – you know, before I do this podcast, before I come on, because I never would put myself out there like this and told some of the stories that I tell on here now. Um, like, you got to be yourself. You only live once, right? So here we go. This was uh, why I reached out to you as my first non-teammate to come on the pod. Um, this was Pride Weekend in the UK, 
uh, so 2020, I believe, right? Just before the pandemic? Yeah, January 2020. So this was the tweet from Zach. With this being the first ever EIHL Pride Weekend, I feel now is the best time to speak about what I've known for many years. I've battled with mental health problems over the issue and with the support, understanding and acceptance from my family, friends and teammates, I finally feel ready to say I'm bisexual. I have never been more proud to wear a jersey before, especially one that celebrates all gender identities and sexualities. So, man, congratulations for being yourself, letting everybody know. Like, there's got to be so many guys in the hockey world that aren't being true to themselves. And it takes a guy like you to to say, hey, I am before the rest, before anybody else will, will come out, right? Like, it, it's got to be hard for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, um, like I said in my tweet, it's, uh, it was actually quite stressful because at first I was trying to get it in the 140 Twitter characters and it was just, I couldn't find a way to do it. And um, I was on the phone to my two best friends, Craig Peacock and Josh Greaveson, pretty much from that Wednesday to the Thursday, uh, to the Sunday every day. Like, how do I word this? How do I do it? I don't want to get it wrong. I want it to be concise. I want it to be clear. Um, so that was quite stressful. Um, but yeah, it's, um, you know, like I said, I've, I've battled with mental health problems. It, it hasn't been easy and it's, um, it kind of took me probably the worst game in my, my professional career to realize that I needed to address it. We, we went to Nottingham and, uh, midweek game and I was, the team would have done better if I didn't go to Nottingham. Uh, I think I was minus four in a four goal night and, couldn't make a tape tape pass to save my life and um we'd actually just watched the um Aaron Hernandez documentary on on Netflix which um he kind of went through the same kind of thing and uh obviously he snapped and everything happened and I I kind of related to it and when I don't want to get to that stage um you know I, I like my life I like the friends I have I like my teammates and um yeah, it just kind of made me realise. And I, I remember texting Josh, my best friend, and kind of being, uh, can you call me tomorrow? I need to talk to you. Um, and we ended up talking over text. Um, and I just kind of told him and he was like, well, yeah, I knew. I knew you weren't. I knew there was something going on, like things you've said in the past, and the way you've been, the way you act and stuff like that. And um, that kind of, I didn't care anymore. Um, we played Glasgow the next night and uh, Peaks plays, plays for Glasgow and I texted him when they were on the bus on the way down. I was like, can I talk to you after the game? Like, I need to talk to you about something. And he was like, doesn't bother me. I love you even more now you've told me. Like, it doesn't change a thing. And like I said to you before we came on, like, they're the two people in the world that know me the best. And like, if one of them's known or had suspicions for this long and, and we've still been best friends and, and the other doesn't care at all, it, what right does anyone else have to judge me? Um, that was kind of my, my, as soon as I told them, it was just, who cares? It's not a big thing. It's, it's not as big as I was making it in my head. And, um, you know, you always build up these, these negative reactions, like people aren't going to talk to you again, ever again. And, um, but yeah, I kind of slowly um, started telling my teammates and they were all really supportive about it. And um, 
it kind of got to that Pride weekend and um, it was announced and all the fans, yeah, go for it. Um, how long before was it that you talked to your your close friends then before you started letting your teammates know? Like you're saying the Pride week was coming up, but like how far before that? Yeah, so so the game in, in Nottingham that I was talking about was November 2019. Uh, and then I, I spoke to my, my best friends and then we had a team Christmas event that we were asked to go to and um, I remember taking Tyson Forsett, one of my teammates at the time, to the airport to meet his family and I just kind of says like, oh, I've had to rearrange my date from Tuesday to Monday uh, because we've got this Christmas event and he was like, oh, where did you meet her? Did you meet her on Instagram? Did you meet her on, on uh, Tinder? Like all this kind of stuff and I was like, um, I met him on Hinge, a dating app and he was like, him? Cool, whatever. And then that was that was the first teammate I told. I'd, I hang around with them pretty much every day. We used to go to the gym together, everything like that, and live together. So it was um, that was the first teammate I told pretty much a week or so after. Um, and he was just like, he, it kind of, he was taken aback a little bit. And then he went, ah, cool, whatever. Um, but yeah, it was, um, it was quite a funny interaction with Fossey. Um, um. Just because I think the timelines are quite funny here. Um, just me starting this podcast, which has, it's not even close to, uh, I guess the, uh, I don't even know what to say. Like the balls you had to have to come out like you did. Like for me to start this podcast, I was all nervous. Cause I was like, I don't really want to put myself out there like that. But right around when you're having those conversations was uh, when in Cardiff, there was a Wally night for me five years later. And I uh, took my top off in this crowd and I was spray painted um, as Joey Martin, the goat. Uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, um, I realized a few times in my life, I didn't care what people think. And you got to you got to have fun and you got to live life, man. Right. Like, that's what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I said to you before that, you know, it, it wasn't my publicly coming out wasn't for for myself it wasn't anything to do with me it was um you know I, I kind of sat there I was talking to to Josh and and just said you know if someone else had been out in professional hockey when I was 16 it would have been so much easier for me um and I think that was kind of the biggest thing um I've always been asked if I was ready to come out in January the answer is 100% no um I wasn't ready. I, I, it was just a, kind of a now or never moment. Um, I wanted the message to reach as many people as it possibly could. And um, I was hoping that the Elite League and all the, the teams would get behind it and, and share and spread the message. And uh, yeah, it's like I said, if a 16 year old me had a role model to look up to and and uh, someone to reach out to, if, if they were going through the same thing, then I think that it, def it, it definitely wouldn't have taken me 10, 10, 11 years to do what I've done. And um, that was the big thing for me. Um, like you said, there, there are people that aren't, aren't probably aren't being true to themselves and, you know, that's fine. They're on their own journeys and, and they're working out within, within themselves. And, um, you know, it was just for me, if I, if I could just help one person anywhere in the world, doesn't matter if it's UK hockey or nothing to do with hockey at all, then, then, 
you know, I've used my short time in the limelight being an elite league player with that kind of slightly raised social media platform to, to do some good because, you know, at the end of the day, we, we play hockey for 10, 15, 20 years and then the next generation comes through and we're all forgotten about. So it was, uh, for me, it was just doing something good with, with the time and the, the kind of raised platform I had and, and trying to help someone who may or may not be going through the same thing somewhere else in the world. And um, if I've done that, then then I'm happy. I'm I, all the fame and the the publicity is isn't for me. I'm not a particularly outgoing guy. So um, if I've helped one person, then then it's mission accomplished. So yeah. Uh, well, I think there's no doubt. I know beforehand you said there was a younger guy in North America that's made the decision at a young age to do it. And it takes, I guess, trailblazers like you that to, to be true to themselves and like not pretend to be somebody they're not just to keep their job, just to play hockey. Like it is just a job. There's a, you know, and it only lasts for a certain amount of time. But the thing is, is nobody on any of the teams, if you're willing to block the shot at the end of the game, if I got blown up in the middle of the ice and you were right there and you would, I know for sure that you would come fight for me if we were wearing the same colors. Like that's what hockey is. It has nothing to do with what people want to do away from the rink. If you show up ready to play hockey and you're ready to block the shot for me and help win the team, nobody cares what anybody does away from the rink. Cause it's a brotherhood when you show up and everybody is in it together and then there's teams where they're not, and that those are the teams that win, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was uh, for me like I, I kind of tweeted it. I drafted the tweet and on my Twitter the night before because otherwise I would have chickened out and not done it. Um, told all my friends I was going to tweet at ten, so I couldn't back out. Um, and then kind of hit the hit the tweet button and. And I was just sat watching, I wasn't even watching TV. The TV was on in the background and I was just sat in the sofa, on the sofa in the house and uh, one of my teammates came in the living room and he's like, how are you feeling? And I was like, I feel like I need a hug. He gave me a big hug and it was just business as usual. And and the same thing when I went to the rink that day, you know, it, it the tweet had blown up, my Instagram had blown up and I kind of walked in the rink to get ready for the game and it, a couple of guys gave me a pat on the back, said good job. And then it was just business as usual. And it was, for me, that was, that was just perfect. Cause it wasn't, I hadn't changed. Um, to them, I was still the same teammate, still the same person. Um, but I, I would have absolutely hated if they'd come up to me and started treating me differently and uh, pandering to me and stuff like that. And, and it just wasn't anything like that. Um, it was all right bisexual great good for you well done for coming out let's start playing hockey again um so yeah it was the the kind of reaction from my teammates was was perfect in every sense of the word because it was just well done you've done it like we got hockey to play now which is exactly what i wanted it was didn't want any kind of media attention um or any special attention from my from my teammates so they they uh, kudos to them for reacting the way they did yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I, I think it's awesome. I, that's why I wanted to have you on. Cause like, I'm proud of you. I think it's incredible. I think you're going to help other people. Um, yeah. Like 
the people that say, well, you know, well, the room might be different or this or that, like hockey players are hockey players, right? Like we're well, there. Yeah. yeah. Right. I don't, I don't know if you've heard of Brock McGillis. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah. No, when we were writing to each other at the start of this, so Brock McGillis was actually on my junior B team and I've never talked to him again because in the middle of the season, he got injured or something and he quit and left. And then that year we ended up winning the championship and I, I've never heard of him. I never heard of him again for like 10 years. And uh, then he came out like that, but like I was on his team in high school and yeah. I, I didn't know and I wouldn't care. Yeah. Well, he, he said he did a, a LGB talk at a, a high school in North America and um one of the <clears throat> sorry one of the students kind of said like isn't that weird that you're you're in a you're gay and you're in a changing room full of guys and it and brock's response was just like are you a hockey player and the guy's like yeah he's like do you have a sister he was like yeah he's like well wouldn't it be weird if you crushed on your sister and he was like well that's different he's like well no it's not hockey's a family you, you go into that room at, at the beginning of the season and you're 20 strangers and you come out at the end of the season and you're, you're a brotherhood, you're, you're all brothers. You'd, you'd jump in front of a bus for, for one of your teammates. And I think that's, uh, like that's something that's really unique to ice hockey and it's something that I, I have always loved. I've always loved that part of the game. And, um, you know, whether, whether you come back and play on the same team again next year or or you go your separate ways, you, you always keep in, in touch with those teammates that you shared special moments with. And I think that's a huge part of the game that is, it's almost forgotten about with all this bravado and, and fighting and all that kind of thing. I think the, the basic, the, the biggest thing about hockey, which makes it work is that, that brotherhood in the dressing room. You got uh, 20 guys that will fight for each other. Yeah, no, and, like ho the hockey world is kind of like living in a tiny town like I do now, like in little Kincardine, Ontario. Like if you're not a good person, you get weeded out pretty quickly um, in the hockey world. Once, especially once you get to professional, even like in the States, like it'd be NCAA or major junior. Like if you're not a good person and you're not a good teammate, you get weeded out quickly. And like when you're a good teammate and you'll do anything for anybody, there is nothing better than being on a team where like, you're right. You jump in front of a bus for each other and you didn't know each other like, a yeah, a month ago. And then all of a sudden you're willing to fight some guy that's six, four, 200 something pounds just cause they hurt your buddy. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, it's so strange that you go from so quickly to to not knowing each other to talk like so you see each other every day like you, you play in card if you're on the ice every day you're in the gym every day you're playing on the weekend you're around these people all day every day and it's you see them more than your family even if even if your family's living in the same city than you you still see your teammates more than your family um so yeah it, it becomes that kind of family like if you have personal problems you talk to your teammates about it because it's that's who you would talk to. Um, and I think that's the, the other thing that's kind of come out of, of what I've done is that, um, you know, the Bell Let's Talk movement, that the mental health uh, movement 
ice hockey's leading the way. You know, give me another professional sport that talks openly about mental health. And it's it's a it, it's a day every every year that we all celebrate for for good reason, and it's um, or we remember for good reason rather. Um, but we're we're open about it because you're you're depressed or you you have any mental health issues. It's, it if anything, it brings the team closer together. Um, and I kind of noticed that after after my announcement that we were so much closer together. We were sharing my experience together. You know, um, Finna, my coach, kind of spoke to me on the Sunday. It was like, you're probably going to have some interviews off the back of this. And I was like, like yeah, fine. Um, and the Monday came around. It was, um, we went out until about seven o'clock in the morning after the game, um, as you do. Yep. <laughs> and uh, it got to about 11 and I hadn't had a call from Finna. So I was like, oh, maybe maybe I don't have any interviews. Great. Like, I, I don't like interviews. I don't really like putting myself out there. And then as soon as I thought that, Finna phoned me. It was like, well, BBC want to do two interviews with you and ITV want to do an interview with you. And I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah, like, I did not expect it to get this big this quick. Like, they're the two biggest news broadcasters in the UK. Um, so yeah, it was kind of every time I went and did an interview, all the guys were like, oh, how was it? Like, did you see anyone you knew, like any famous people in there, all that kind of stuff. And it was, they made sure that they didn't treat me differently, but they made sure that I knew that they were there on my journey with me, which was, which was really touching. Cause it was, you know, they all could have gone, yeah, that's great. Brilliant. And then they just, just left it and, and let me go on my way and kind of do what I've been doing for the last year. And, um, they let me know that they were there. They were, if I needed to talk to anyone about anything, they were there. And yeah, it was, like I said, their, their reaction was, was perfect in every sense of the word. And, uh, they made sure my feet remained firmly on the ground, uh, had a few chirps about being Mr. Worldwide and, uh, the, the media, everyone wanted to talk to me and all this kind of thing. So, uh, I, I had to, I had a few interviews where I had to miss Jim. Uh, after practice and they were like oh you're too good to go to the gym now too much of a big deal that kind of stuff so it was it was all like good natured and obviously like coming from the right place but they 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 let me know every day that they were really supportive of it and um it definitely made it much much easier uh it's that's yeah and that's the hockey world and that's just the way it is like you're right though like <laughs> You doing it, I, th I think, will change the future. I think more people will be more comfortable now that there's been others before them. So, like I, yeah, like I've mentioned, I, I couldn't be proud of, prouder of you because there's no other way to live. Like you got to be yourself. Like there, you only get to do it once. You may as well, you may as well live. Um, so. I guess, what else do you got before we end this? Because, like, other than that, the story, um, I don't know. I don't really have any other notes other than uh, I'm going to be watching the results, I guess. I doubt I'll be able to live stream or if I'd even want to. But um, I'll always check the results of the games. I'm not sure who to cheer for this year. I know I will never cheer for the Steelers. Um, I would probably might be a Manchester Storm guy 
just yeah, we, because of the arena. We're getting a lot of um, of uh, kind of other teams coming and supporting us. We've got uh, a Glasgow contingent coming down, so we've we've kind of got the Glasgow fans on board. We got a couple of the Cardiff boys on on with Ben Davies and Josh Batch. So Cardiff are kind of supporting us. So we, we we've kind of got the biggest support behind us at the moment, um, which is very different to a normal season. We're we're the we're the bad boys of the league. We're usually highest in the penalty minutes by a country mile. So it's <laughs> usually we're booed out of the stadium every night. So it, it'd be a uh, although the fans aren't there to cheer us, it will. Uh, yeah, we, we we look like we've got a lot of support at the moment. Um, we're also the underdogs. You know, we finished, uh, we were still battling for a playoff spot last year, whereas Nottingham and Sheffield were going for the league and, and Coventry were making a late run, uh, pushing for the league as well. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting. Um, I think there, a couple of guys were talking the other day about the budgets. Um, you know, like we were saying earlier, you have the arena teams that have that bigger budget that they can afford to pay their players more money and therefore get a higher caliber of import in. And, um, now it's with, a draft. Yeah, with, with the budget and the draft and um, everything like that, it's, it's a very level playing field. And um, having spoken to the guys that we've drafted, I know most of them quite well. And we're, we're looking forward to getting ready and, and uh, kind of show what we can do. We're not, we're not going to be turning up and just stepping on the ice we want to we want to go and win it so um yeah it's gonna be, gonna be uh, <laughs> when batchy when batchy shows up okay so when do you guys actually start skating um well i'm currently playing in london playing for london raiders in the nihl spring cup which ends i think it's the 28th sunday the 28th of um march and we're due in Nottingham on the 29th. Um, so that 29th is kind of like the induction day because obviously we've got a COVID protocol in place. And so then you guys are just like in a bubble? Like you guys don't play in your arena? So, um, I don't know if you watched the draft. You probably didn't. Don't blame me. Um, I looked at the Twitter after, kind of like the games. I look at the results after to see how so my buddies did. Everyone drafted seven guys that make up the 12 British players because they had five protected and then each team picked two or three guys as kind of like a taxi squad, kind of like the NHL have at the moment, um, in case of a failed uh, COVID or getting injured or something like that. Um, so everyone is turning up to camp. We've got a hotel room to ourselves, I think, I hope. Um, on the 29th, Monday 29th, to be talked through kind of like how everything's going to work, set up our rooms, our dressing rooms, because it's going to be our, our home for the next five weeks. And um yeah, I think some teams might be skating on the Monday. I hope we're not, because I'm going to be shattered from the weekend playing two games. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, we're kind of we're due on the 29th and the first game's on the 3rd. So uh, three, four days of, of camp and then straight into it. Uh, but no, it's, it's going to be fun. Um, all the oh. guys are excited and kind of with this draft obviously the fans get more excited because it's like something's happening but the guys I know are like oh this is actually happening like it kind of sinks in that it's real and it's we're going to be playing soon so it's um yeah it's everyone's really excited everyone's raring to go and it's it's uh I think Woody and Peaks the two Glasgow boys that are coming down have uh, got in touch with the 
the personal trainer we used to have up there and they're, they're getting their, getting into game shape, ready to come down. And um, the rest of us are playing in this uh, spring cup already. So we'll kind of already be in game shape and uh, hopefully we, we turn up and we, we put on a good show. Uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be exciting for everybody in the UK hockey scene to have hockey back, whether whether it's the Devils, who all the fans don't know who to cheer for, or like for everybody, like just to have hockey back, all the players, it's going to be great, man. Because like when you'd show up in Nottingham for a playoff weekend, like all the fan support from all the different teams, it it is quite the not just the players, but the fans, they have a whole group of friends from different teams and they all know each other and they have a hoot every weekend. Right. Yep. They're, they're, no, I, I'm expecting it to go down really well and, and hopefully we put on uh, hockey that's, that's good enough that they'll enjoy. Cause uh, you know, that's, that's why we play, isn't it? We want to entertain the fans. We want to put on a show for them and, and we want to win things on the way. So um yeah, I'm. I'm really looking forward to it. I was kind of um, umming and ahhing over whether to stay in London or, or come back to Manchester, and I'm glad I, I came back to Manchester because I, I, I don't want to miss out on this. This is going to be, uh, it's a once in a lifetime thing. It's a five week mini tournament, and it's everyone's going to be in Nottingham. Everyone's playing in Nottingham, skating in Nottingham, living in Nottingham. So it's going to be, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be so much fun. Um, I've already had to order FIFA 21 and a new controller for my Xbox so we can play FIFA when we're there. And um, I think we're we're trying to get some kind of cross-league FIFA tournament going, uh, cross-league NHL tournament going to kind of pass away the time in the hotel and things like that. So it's because uh, everyone knows each other. You know, having played over here, it's it's a small community. Everyone knows each other. Everyone gets on, uh, mostly. Oh yeah, yeah, but then the games are gonna start. Well, the games are gonna start. You just gotta remember that at some point, like, um, like you know, so Peacock's on your team, right? Is that what you said? So yeah. I'm saying, like, at some point, Josh Batch is gonna slash Matthew Myers, and he's gonna fall down like he always does, and then Josh Batch will get a penalty, and that's like, well, hold on, <laughs> like, you guys are normally teammates, like. So, yeah. but the thing is, is once you guys get going and you're in different jerseys, it's just like men's league in Canada. Like as soon as they put on different jerseys, they feel like they're playing for the pride of their, their whole family, their, the, the team, like these guys are nuts around here in men's hockey. So I can't imagine there'll be any different once uh, everybody gets drafted and separated on teams here. Yeah. I th- like you say, I think it's kind of like that that initial excitement period, everyone's going to be just happy to be there. And then like you yeah. say, that first game's going to happen and then everyone's going to go, Oh, okay. Like it's game time now. Let's, let's put on our game faces. We we're here for a reason. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, no, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I haven't been this excited for, for hockey in a long time. And part of that's probably to do with, with Finner's recruitment in the draft. It's a lot of guys I know and, and, really looking forward to playing with again and uh, not having to play against them. Um, but no, it, it's going to be a lot of fun and um, it's uh, it's been made very clear that it's precursor for GB camp as well. So uh, anyone who wants to break into that squad, anyone that wants to make a name for themselves to go to Riga is uh, is obviously going to be trying their hardest to impress the, the team GB coaches. Um, 
so yeah, it's there's a lot on a lot on the line. It's not just uh, wanting to win the series and the little playoffs at the end. It's it's a spot in your national team, which is everyone's dream growing up. Um, so yeah, it's going to be competitive. It's going to get feisty. Um, but you know that's that's why we play. Guys haven't played for a year. They've been wanting to play for for nearly thirteen months now. So it's it's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, definitely. Wow. Yeah. You're making me jealous because now what I do after five years out of the game is for competitive juices. I have to uh, go down the street and kick the crap out of all the middle-aged men at pickleball. (laughs) Yeah. So in the summers or springs, whatever, we'll, we'll go down and have a couple of beers and play pickleball. And that's my, what has to get my competitive juices flowing. So Thank goodness I have a podcast because those guys are so sick of me getting so serious about pickleball because as soon as they put up a fight, like I, I just, it don't, it doesn't matter about the bad knee or if I'm fat, like I just, I, yeah, I get way too competitive and then I start chirping. So I'm jealous that you guys get to do all this, man. It's gonna, it's gonna be fun. You guys are, you guys are all going to be buddies when you first get there. There might even be some beers. And then as soon as the real games start, I bet you all that stops. Yep, back to hating each other. <laughs> yeah, until the end season ends and then you see each other again. You're like, oh, hey, buddy, how are you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, the, that's just the nature of the game, isn't it? It's just another positive that comes out of the game. Um, like I said, Peaks is my best friend. We played against him six times last year. And, and every time it's one of the boys thinks they're funny and uses the age old joke, oh, there's no friends out there. But it's it's you you're mortal enemies when you're on the ice and then you get off the ice and it's a it's a hug and a like, how are you? How have you been? That kind of thing. And it's uh, yeah, I mean it's it's one of a kind sport. Um I couldn't imagine playing any other sport. It's uh, and I think you'll probably vouch for it the same. You couldn't imagine playing another sport. It's, it's the sport that you feel you're destined to play and love every aspect of it, good or bad. And um, Yeah, it's it's uh, been a long time coming. It's been, a well, when we actually start, it will be a year to the day, I think, that our last game was last season. So it's, um, everyone's been waiting for it. Everyone's been looking forward to it. And uh, it's finally coming around. Well, I, I can't believe it's happening. So, I guess we'll wrap it up now, but I do just want to say before we wrap it up, I know I've said it numerous times, but like, I'm proud of you. I think you're going to be a happier guy being yourself. Nobody on that team's going to give a crap at all. Like nobody will, because you're going to be there to win and the games are going to get serious and you're going to do your thing. And that's just hockey. And I'm just so proud of you. I think you're going to live a much better life now that you've done it. You're going to be happier. And I hope that there'll be other guys in the hockey world that, uh, that if they are struggling, they at least have someone to reach out to, right? Like even if they're not announcing anything themselves, at least they have someone that they could write to you or Brock McGillis or someone to say, Hey man, I need to talk to someone. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, big thing that you know I, I always say the message it's not my message um it's it's the message that i'm uh passionate about carrying um but it's it's everyone's message that goes through the same thing and it's it's their journey and um 
you know it's the one privilege in life it's it's our life we live it how we want to we we go through life how we want to and it's the same with with your with each and everyone's journeys um you know it's uh, there is a bit of resentment on my part you know I'll, I'll ask you the question i asked all my teammates when did you sit your parents down and tell them you were straight <laughs> no I, I i never did i i so yeah. there is a, you know that's that's you know in in 20 years if someone comes out they feel like they're ready to to tell the world that they're gay or bisexual or or any gender orientation and 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 nothing is said about it there's no media coverage um and life goes on as normal for that person then i think that is the the ultimate goal um it doesn't matter we play a sport we're, we're in the entertainment business all that matters is is your talent level and your ability to put on a good show for the fans um so yeah whether you uh Whatever you are, whoever you fall in love with, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change your ability to play the sport, and that's that's the big thing for me. And it's it doesn't just stop at sexuality or or gender orientation. It's it's your colour, your your creed, your religion. It doesn't change your ability to do something. Um, some people get hung up on it, and and I for the life of me, I don't know why. Uh, it's baffling. Um, I've had a few tweets from people i don't know people who've never met me just saying oh you're going to burn in hell for this it's like well all the interesting people are going to end up in hell anyway so i'm quite happy about that um but yeah like i said it's it's um it's a message that i'm passionate about it's the first time in my life i've had something i'm this passionate about and uh you know i'll do everything i can to spread it and and thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk to you about it today and um Hopefully it never stops spreading because I think there are people in the world that need to hear it. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, yes, I couldn't agree more that there's some people out there that uh, maybe need to hear this. Um, yeah, and speaking of being passionate about it, like being able to have you on, tell this story so we can get it out there a little bit more. Maybe it helps people. I hope so. You hope so. So um, thank you so much. I know it's not easy with the time changes and you're getting back into hockey and playing hockey. Um, but thank you so much for making the time for me. Um, Definitely. Yeah. And it was nice meeting you, even though we yeah. might have probably punched each other in the face at one point. Well, I, I don't get involved in that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. I let the big tough imports get on, do that kind of thing and just, melt into the background oh okay yeah no i tried to mix it up a little bit every once in a while but hey thank you so much for coming on and i'm gonna hit stop now because i i think this is great so thank you so much man cheers some people clap on a one and three some people clap on a two and four some people don't join at all Cause they got no rhythm And that's alright Some people they drink too much Some people don't drink enough Some people are just like me I hope y'all forgive them I'm like Scott Cause I'm a girl.